is this my life? And I think a lot of people have that, like, is this really, is this really what I'm doing? Like, I'm going to come sit at this desk and drink this coffee and climb the corporate ladder. And everyone's got their own journeys and things. But for me, when I looked at people climbing the corporate ladder and having to impress people that didn't know that much, I was like, this is this not for me. Hey, welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert, the overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin, Anna, and Mava. Now get comfy, fellow Lady Brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Our next guest may not be a household name just yet, but let me tell you, after you hear this episode, we don't think you'll forget her anytime soon. She's gritty, hilarious, and has one of the most inquisitive minds. Christy Lawrence is the brains behind Plan, a social media management tool that is widely used by creatives, influencers, and big organizations. Her business building journey is a unique one. Struck by a debilitating illness that left her unable to move independently for two years, She somehow managed to not only make a full recovery, but in the process, conceived of plan and persuaded someone to build the app for free. Three years on, Christy has achieved over 1 million downloads across 150 countries, employs 35 people in nine countries, and now splits her time between Sydney and Silicon Valley. She's a real pocket rocket. We hope you enjoy it. Well, I came from a family of entrepreneurs, so my mum and dad both had their own businesses. And so I didn't really know any other way other than having your own business and my dad and mum talking around the table at night about marketing strategies and, you know, how to build their business. So it became part of my life that I didn't know any different. As a child, I was super inquisitive, very curious, always asking questions and then be a really big thinker late Mm -hmm. at night and read a lot of books. So I kind of had that from the outside, I was pretty creative and quirky, but on the inside, quite a big thinker. But I think the entrepreneurial thing came from right from the beginning. What did your parents do? multiples of things. So oh, my, really? Yeah. So my <clears throat> mum ran and owned uh, motels and a business and my dad went to Japan to buy cars and would sell them directly to dealerships in New Zealand. So basically grew up on a car yard and then in a motel. <laughs> <laughs> so, put that together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were your first career ideas, I guess, when you were young? What did you study? What were some of your first jobs? Well, I was always super creative. So when I grew up, I actually wanted to be a fashion designer and I wanted to design clothes. But when I grew to five foot and then nothing else, that dream was never going to be realized. My first idea of a business was going to the school next door and stealing grapefruit and putting them in bags and selling them outside the front of my house. Brilliant. Um, That's resourceful. we had a few similar stories (laughs) to that. So I would have been about 10 when I got my first taste of that. Uh, But I always knew that I wanted to do something creative. But Mm. in my hometown in New Zealand, it's very small. And I ended up working in finance in a bank after studying industrial design. And there was just, there's just no jobs. But I always was very analytical and creative and I always had the two together. So it kind of, I was able to go between the two. And at night I could do my illustrating and drawing and painting and that creative release at home. So I felt okay. Moving to Sydney, the world kind of opened for me and I was able to work in finance there. Uh, And after a year of not fitting in, (laughs) that's it's a very good way to put it in Sydney finance. I decided my to try uh, marketing. So I taught myself everything that I needed to know. I was already running an online web comic. So I already knew how to build websites, how to run marketing strategies, how to create email lists. So I was already doing that. And then went to a whole bunch of marketing agencies with no marketing degree and, and explained what I'd done mm. and hope someone would take a chance. And they did. And my marketing career started. And how long were you doing marketing for? 
I'd say 10 years. Oh, wow. I loved it. So I was anywhere between the marketing agencies to tech agencies to social agencies and then I ended up client side. So my most well, my last job was at IAG, which is uh, Australia's biggest insurance provider. So I was able to yeah. be like, oh, here's my financy background, now mm-hmm. works with my creative. Mm-hmm. And I was making all their TV commercials and their social media and their crisis management, which prepared me for startup life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and their sports sponsorships. But I was also a part of their innovation team. So that sounds quite diverse. You've had a... Very diverse. Yeah. But if you look at it all, it's all the same creative problem solving mm analytical plus using creativity to drive decisions with data it's all really come a full circle but yeah look at my cv and i'm a mess (laughs) but it's really interesting though because it sounds like you're like the perfect balance of left brain right brain Mm, like you know a lot of people we meet are like super creative visionaries Mm. or alternatively you know really you know, focused on data mm. and analytical and obviously you need the two to have a successful business yeah. so, so like the creative is definitely like woo. it's like it's definitely there but I I have it in the self-awareness I probably think it might be to just come back and be like okay let's let's revisit the data and the business and I think that comes from growing up with two entrepreneurs talking about mm. finance and bills and profitability of business at home <laughs> since I can remember and just knowing that you have to have full sight across all the different functionalities of a business. Mm, and knowing that if the, you don't know of seven fires burning in your own business, then you're not close enough. Right. Mm. Mm. And talk to us about um, your creative streak, because I know you were selling your artwork, your mm. drawings, your paintings. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about that. <laughs> well, I was that girl that when you're growing up and you needed a creative idea, Christy, like I was her. So not only was it painting, it was photography, it was event styling, it was wedding invites, it was anything basically. Piano, I played music. So it was just in me and it's where I go to recharge. So if I need some time out or anything, like get give me something like craft a noon and I get all my energy back. What can't you do? Yeah. I have a really big gaping black hole of knowledge of geography. (laughs) So if you ask me anything about geography, like this sounds really crazy, but ask me to put London on a map, can't do it. I'm not kidding. You've got Google Google Maps. Yeah, you don't. That's not a critical skill. (laughs) (laughs) I think your business will survive. (laughs) The the thing is, like you were saying, that you're traveling through Sydney while you're here and you're saying these names. I'm like, oh, it sounds familiar, but like, hmm. Where is that? I don't know where that is. So talk us through, you're you're in marketing, Mm -hmm. you're also painting, drawing, selling that on the side. Mm -hmm. What's the transition look like to plan? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, was there something else in between? Can you tell us? Definitely that? was. So I was working. There were two actual like trigger those mm. aha moments, and one of them was, "Is this my life?" Mm. And I think a lot of people have that. Like, is this really? Is this really what I'm doing? Like, I'm going to come sit at this desk and drink this coffee, and and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder, and and it sounds really crazy, and and everyone's got their own journeys and things. But for me, when I looked at people climbing the corporate ladder and having to impress people that didn't know that much, I was like, this this is not for me. Mm. And then I'd see the mums going, having children and then coming back and then having to leave work at five because of daycare. And then they'd be, you know, shunned because they weren't working as hard or seen as passionate. I was like, I don't want that. Like I'm super Mm. passionate and I want to have a family, but I also want a career. So that started to realize that things weren't fitting for me. So I was already starting to have the, this is not for me vibes of just basically working. 
Yeah. <laughs> Working doesn't work for Don't me. Work. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got the flu. So I woke up one day thinking, oh, this feel a bit weird today, but I didn't I didn't know it was possible. But the strain of flu that I got didn't give me like muscle aches and pains. It went into my brain and destroyed my vestibular function. Mm-hmm. And that is your ability for spatial, for cognitive, for balance, for dizziness. So if you can think about being in a jumpy castle on a boat, drunk at the same time, oh, that – And having to deal with that full time was really debilitating. So I had brain scans, I had heaps of specialist appointments and eventually they narrowed it down to this is what's happened to your brain and the cognitive function's not working. So every single night when I would go to bed, I would be looking at the ceiling and you know when you've had too much red wine and the room's just whoom, 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 every night Mm. for two years. Holy like a long term. And, and were the, you working? Like, were I was you, trying. But, yeah. <laughs> I was super skinny. I couldn't, I just motion sickness. I couldn't eat. The panic attacks because you started to have, I started to get social anxiety because leaving the house, like I, I fell down the escalator at Martin Place, which is a public transport place in, here in Sydney. And that was the day I kind of went, okay, uh, uh, I've got to be at home now and start looking after myself. And the doctors had all told me up to this point that you will never recover. You're probably going to have to have a carer and you kind of, here I was with a really great career. I was playing semi-professional sport at hockey and like loving life and doing lots of crazy things. And then here's this kind of wake up one day with the flu and your life's over. I was like, this, no, this, this is crazy. Like, yeah, it's like, no, I'm too, I'm, nah. I'm too young. I've got too, too much life yeah. and I'm too crazy. Like this isn't my life. So I spent a lot of time, no alcohol, no coffee and crazy treatments, daily treat stuff just stayed at home and I would draw and then I'd just start drawing again and um, my husband Tim who is a godsend and he is super supportive of everything that I've done said look you stay at home and get better because I know you can and I'll support us Mm. but I need to make sure mentally health-wise that you're okay what can you do and I was like well how about um every day that I draw something I'll put on Instagram and you can check that like things are good and he's like that'd be perfect so here I am back to posting on Instagram and then the during this process my art started to take off and people started asking me for commissions and I was making more work doing that than my corporate job I was like what and my friends started ringing and saying what are you doing how are you making all this money from Instagram this is insanity but my analytical brain of the data plus the marketing the strategy and branding matched together and I was like well Instagram's really about your grid and telling a story mm-hmm. and a visual representation of of you and and it's just it's just marketing and that's when I had the idea for plan. It was born from I want this for myself and I want to be able to teach people what I'm doing because I'm so visual I can see it. So how can I help you see it? And that's how the idea was born. Wow. Wow. What is <laughs> so, I mean, so much there. I, I want to talk more about plan. Before we do, I just want to ask, I mean, being hit like that and being really sick, like yeah. how did you get through that time? It was nasty. I had some really great friends that would check up on me. There's a lot of people that didn't understand it because I went from being this vibrant, crazy, fun life of the party to this bear in, her, in hibernation. Mm. I just wouldn't leave the house, and if I did, I'd get panic attacks. So it was it was very hard. But I had this, like, a team, basically, of people that became my lifesavers, and they're not really my friends now, but they were um, – like a a cranial osteopath who worked on nervous systems and a sports scientist that would work on muscle groups and then a nutritionist that would help me with certain things. So, like, they became my team and my counsellors in the end because for a moment there it got really dark. Mm. It was very dark. And Tim, my husband, again, godsend, would never treat me like I was sick. He just pretended like nothing was wrong. He's like, oh, hey, how was your day? And wouldn't ask me 
anything about what it's like being sick and just continued on like I was just had the flu. And then eventually it's been touch wood uh, three years and I've pretty much made a full recovery. I get the odd panic attack, but I'm pretty much good now. And mm. there's just little, I can't drink coffee and the hangovers mm. are way worse because yeah. I'm just dizzy for a day. And there's just little triggers like that, but like, You've learned to look after yourself now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, compared to what it was, compared mm. to I am now, like I, I feel like I've got my life back. Do you feel like having your drawing as a creative outlet and then sort of seeing the momentum and the traction that you were getting with commissions and, you know, all of that sort of stuff, do you feel like that gave you motivation and kind of an ability to see through to the other side? Like did that help in your recovery, do you think? I think it just got me through the day-to-day. Mm. I think that's more that it did. But what it started to show me is I always wanted to draw for me and I wanted it to be my thing. So when people started asking me, I'll pay you $1,000 to do a black and white Charlie Chapman, I was like, I don't, I don't want to draw what you want me to draw. <laughs> I want to draw what I want to draw. But how about I help you make money on Instagram yourself because you're super talented and you could probably do it. So let me help you do it. And so my passion became how can I empower more people that are super talented actually create freedom and a life for themselves with this massive platform that's growing like crazy. And I saw a huge vision still to go. Like it's, Instagram's just hit a billion users. So it's just taken off and I, I don't think it's going to go, it's going to be here for a while. Mm. So I saw something in that that I could help people and we've just like clocked over a million downloads of plan. So helping, if you can imagine that in a football in like 10 football stadiums, it's a pretty it's crazy. crazy for 18 months in the app store. It's a pretty crazy story. It is a crazy story. <laughs> it's amazing. So talk us through, you've come up with this idea. Yeah. What's the first thing you do? Like how, you, you obviously had experience with building no. websites, but <laughs> websites, not apps. Yeah. So you're not a non-technical apps. founder. <laughs> what on earth, how well, did you do it? Well, I was like, okay, well, if I was working in a tech agency, what would be my first step? Like, well, I'd need to wireframe this out, right? Mm. So I need to work out, would there be a pop-up? What would the screen need to do? And what would they look like? And then the first rule, I think, of entrepreneurship, and maybe this was taught in me from a young age, is that, A, you can't hide your ideas, mm. and B, it's all in the execution. And I know people mm. say this all the time, but, for example, the next thing that I did was take this wireframe, jump on Upwork, which is an online marketplace of people, and sent it to as many developers as I could and said, what do you guys think and how much would this cost to make? So I got 10 different responses and most of them were like, Christy, this is missing so many things. I'm like, tell me what it's missing then. Mm. And from that, I was able to iterate, 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 iterate. And in the meantime, while they were doing that, I was teaching myself UI, UX. So I was designing the app behind the scenes while I was waiting for all the feedback. Because I had so many, I was getting feedback every day, so it was perfect. Yeah. And then next minute, I've got this full-scoped app <laughs> that I actually could hand over to a developer and say, how much would this cost? And then when I found out it was going to cost over 100000 American dollars to build, so I'm questioning, is this still, <laughs> do I still want to do this? Mm. So I didn't have $100,000, so I took this scope that of work and then basically hustled my way around Sydney and went to a few web and app agencies and said, I'm starting to feel better, obviously. Mm. If I can do your marketing and advertising for you and your clients, will you build my tech and show me how to be a CTO? And someone said yes. Wow. And after 10 months, I had a working app. I didn't do a prototype. And this is a lot of people in tech are like, okay, well, I should probably spend 20 grand and then see if people are interested. And I was mm. like, nah, I'm all in. Like, 
course people are going to be interested. And I just went for it. I, because if you build an MVP, you usually have to rebuild the app. Yeah. But while I was doing the prototyping, I was asking my friends, is this a problem you have? Would you pay for it? So I was doing all my product market fit work behind the scenes, decided to skip the MVP and just went straight into a Straight bill. to the full blown. Which is yeah. unusual, isn't it? It's very yeah. unusual. But you got to back yourself. you got to back yourself. All in. You're a girl that backs yourself. I can absolutely tell that. Yeah, I knew I was onto something. And, like, the idea before I started was waking me up at night. Mm. And, yeah, I think it woke me up for about four months before I went, this is a great idea. It's going to get done. Why can't I do this? Why can't it be me? Let's go. And then from that day, there was no stopping me. I was just totally focused. Yeah, like like total. Drove myself to insanity and back again and focus. Wow. Yeah. So you have the final app after 10 months. Mm-hmm. Now what? <laughs> so I'm working in this web and app agency yep. who say that they, within the first week, I had a 1,000 paying customers. How <laughs> did you do that? <laughs> yeah, like talk us through that in that. detail. <laughs> um, so when, because Plan obviously had, it was brand new to market and no one had seen anything like it. And... I think it's the same as what's known now as influencer marketing. Mm. And my brain went, okay, so who's going to use this? Influencers, business owners, brands, personalities. Who do they all look up to? How do I become friends with those people? So I spent 10 months while the app was being built making friends with these people. Literally, I would turn on their post notifications and I knew that they had to be American because if they were American, that they'll flow through to every other country. Makes Mm. sense. Like Australia is a small it's too small, mm. especially on something like Instagram. So, like, visionary thinking, like, okay, let's get the American market. Mm. And then would turn on the post notifications and t- poor Tim, my husband, would get a beep every time these one of these 100 people would post. And instead of writing, like, nice with a, with a bicep emoji, I would literally be having a conversation so that if they saw my name regularly pop up, they would be friends. They then became Facebook friends. I then created a private Facebook group for a beta test group. And on the day of launch, I had pretty much all 100 posts about the app. Mm. For free? For free. Wow. And were these influencers? Influ- influencers, right. yeah. Anywhere between 10 and, and probably 200,000 followers. Wow. Yeah. But they were friends. Like they were all friends on, and now they like high-five me and give me virtual cheerleading and oh, they're like part of the journey amazing. now. And yeah. I make a product or I make a new feature and I'll send it to them still and say, what do you think of this? Yeah. And just they're literally friends now. <laughs> I think it's really important to get those early adopters, isn't it? Definitely. Just people that you're champions that want to support Yeah, and those, those early day brand ambassadors, that they are just, they're just so important and you just cherish the relationship and look after them. I'm just like still blown away by that. A thousand people in a, in a month, yeah. was it? In the first week. In the week, yeah. first week. That's yeah. just insane. So what happened from then is that the developer team that I was with, working with, they were working on my app part-time and after hours because I wasn't a, technically a paying client. And when the app started to have some popularity, they weren't able to continue with me. Like we weren't able to continue the relationship. So I had to find a new development team within the first month of it going live which I had no idea how to do. So mm. I'm basically like on LinkedIn, anyone with the word mobile app in the, <laughs> in the, in the thing, like reaching Start out to searching. them going, can you refer a team, blah, blah, blah. And in the meantime, like I'm like the swan going crazy under the water because I've got like a thousand paying users with customer service needs. Right. Right. So I'm like, and saying, oh yeah, these bugs, mm-hmm, they're going to be fixed. Mm-hmm, holy. Yeah. How did you hold them off? Like when stuff's not working. Being a human. Yeah. Just yeah. responding as a human yep. and saying what was going on. I was fairly honest, not too honest, but fairly honest. I didn't say I don't have any developers. I was like, I'm looking at it. 
and we'll let yeah. you know. So just keeping them in the loop and get, then getting if, back to them. If they yeah. hadn't heard from you in a week, like I actually, if I said I'm going to get back to you in a week, I would get back. Found a new dev team, which then we had to rebuild the entire app from scratch because you'll learn developers don't like to work on other developers' mm, yeah. codes. Yeah. And then relaunch it under the guise of an update and keep going. How'd you find that? How'd you find the rebuild? The the from money the from the week. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the first week, and so the first month I'd made enough money to fund the next month. And cross my fingers, I was going to be able to fund the third month, <laughs> and I did. Hustle. <laughs> Hustle. It's just crazy. Yeah, but I didn't. The thing is, I didn't know any other way. I'd, I'd already invested so much time and energy, and you know that startups fail. Like 90, 90 something percent of startups fail. And if I failed, then I was going back to corporate. So there was that no chance of that happening. There was just no chance. And I knew that. I believed in my ability enough to learn and apply. So I read a lot. I speed read and I sponge information and I'm able to apply it quickly. So and I just had absolute faith in my ability to be able to do that. I can say that now, but at the time I was like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, at the time we were just like, what's next? What's next? What's oh, next? Working 120-hour weeks, right. barely saw anyone, and panic was- attacks. Because like, I was still coming, like still yeah. quite sick. I wasn't completely healed at this point. So... And was it just you at that stage? Oh, I yeah. mean, obviously, me and like a couple of overseas devices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was me. It was like that for almost a year and a half. It wasn't until we got to about 200,000 users when I started to build a team. I was like, yeah, I can't manage customer support you were doing anymore. Customer support for 200,000 200, people? people? Yeah. And three blog posts a week, designing the new features, managing the dev team, doing all the testing, running our website. By this point, we're getting 100,000 visitors to the website every month doing all the photography, all the social media, me. Yeah. Were you sleeping? Like how sustainable it was, was that not, time? It drove me back to insanity. Yeah. Yeah, just too much work and no one could understand the, the level of work that was going on. They just thought that I was sitting at home in my yoga pants, which I was, but not the level of work yeah, that was actually that was... being churned through. But some of it like was really fun, like doing a photo shoot for my own app, like awesome. Yeah. Totally happy. In your own personal opinion, do you think that people have to put in the crazy, ridiculous hours to build a successful business or is there another way to do it? This is controversial, but I, there's no other way. Uh, for me personally, if you're building an app and you're bootstrapped mm. and you don't have funding, then if I hadn't have done what I had to do in those early days, then I wouldn't be here now. Mm. So for, for me, I can't regret it. And it's really controversial because I keep being told, you know, it's not about the hustle, it's blah, 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 which is fine, like don't glorify the hustle. But I Mm. think what ended up happening is that you have to think of your workflow and put your health and your mental mental health and mental well-being into your entire workflow. So if you can build that yourself into the workflow, it doesn't feel like work and balance. Mm. It's just what you do. It's your life. Yeah. And were there things in those early days that you just had to deprioritize because there simply weren't enough hours in the day? 100%. And then because I was, again, because I was bootstrapped, Every day I'd wake up and I'd say to myself, what are you going to do today that's going to make money? Yeah. And everything else, everything else would just push to the side. And I had an alert on my phone every few hours. And I was like, what are you doing and is it making money? So if I was, you know, working on a folder structure or if I was doing something, like that, I was like, what are you doing? This isn't making money. You're not going to survive another month if you keep doing this. If you keep filing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, or are you, yeah. You know, are you wasting time in a Facebook group where you could get two people, where you could be somewhere else where your reach is 100,000 people and just working out what's my ROI of my time? 
Totally. Yeah, and just sometimes like I'd hate to be my neighbours because I would have been like, what are you doing, Christy? Get off Facebook. <laughs> Talking to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was, just drove myself insane. <laughs> I'm going to put that reminder on my phone now. Yeah, I mean, I even think that's today. pertinent for us. Oh, like, you know, There's a million, billion things that we yeah. could be doing. I had a poster but, yeah. above my desk that would say, what are you doing and is it making money? And I'd constantly be looking at it. And it's something that I've had to teach my team as well because they have to think profitability for the – for us as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone could be creating beautiful social media graphics because that's what we do. But at the end of the day, does that turn into paying customers to continue the growth of the business? Mm-hmm. Because that's, we yeah. scale so quickly that we need the money to be able to pay for the back end operations. Because without the yeah. money, we can't afford the growth. So we actually, I had to actually stump some of the growth because we couldn't afford it wow. for a while there, which was, it's crazy to yeah. say, but that's what actually happened. Did you think about getting funding at any stage? Well, when I first had the idea, I was like, I didn't even think investment was a thing. I didn't even know what it was. Mm. And I put myself through night school to learn how to pitch. It's called Alivaco, where you go through experts and they teach you how to set up a family trust and how to look after the business. They do all of the things. And part of it is they teach you how to pitch, which for a founder is probably an essential tool because you get asked every day, well, what do you do? Mm. So having different elevator pitches um, works well. Being a non-technical female founder with no experience in a startup and no friends in startup and no connections to Silicon Valley and an offshore development team, I wouldn't have given myself money either. Like it's just it was never really an option. But when I was able to prove that I could be customer funded and that my customers would, would surge me forward, then that was the way that I went. But I did entertain it for a little while. I thought, all right, let me pitch now that I know how to pitch and I'll go and pitch to investors and see what they say and I would get oh what's Instagram that, that was I was like oh no what? why am we why am I oh I could have got like 10 more customers instead of wasting my time having this meeting with you and I shouldn't think that way but that's how I thought mm-hmm. and I would get things like oh why would I invest in you when I can invest in two engineers that know what they're doing and already have a side business that earn a wage and you're over here not making any money for yourself and not earning a wage and don't know what you're doing so having to come up against that, and everyone says, you know, you need to probably meet 100 investors before you find your match. You, basically, you have to marry your investor. They're in your business with you, and you have to really, you know, get on with them as people. So I had some good and bad experiences, but what in, for me, what I ended up realizing that the harder that I worked, I didn't need them at the time, and I was able to scale at the time without them. And then by the time I thought about investments seriously a little bit later on, the business was profitable. I didn't have to worry. And so now it's beautiful that I get approached by angels and things now. And like a VC turned up in my office the other day and saying, do you need money? I'm like, no. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm sitting there, I just probably had a, like a meltdown in my track pants and bare feet. I'm like, oh, you could have called this. <laughs> so glam. That's, that's, the, that's the true startup oh, life, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. But I mean, and then I think where I'm at now, like playing costs over six, it's a six-figure number to run every month. Um, monthly cost. So if an angel's coming at me saying, I'm going to give you a hundred thousand, I'm like, oh, that doesn't even pay for a month. So like, mm. yeah. <laughs> so I'm at the point now, if I was going to take funding, you'd need to be a couple of mil. Yeah. 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 So um, I'm going, I spend a lot of time between here and Silicon Valley. Oh, wow. I have some great mentors. So I'm living over there for April, May of this year. And doing some great partnerships. And I mean, I never said no, because I'm always open to opportunity, but like just not right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to be. Mm. You know? It's a really nice place yeah. to be. When I, I, mean, I talk to my other friends that are in startup and the amount 
trying to get investments a full-time job. Mm. You meet someone and they ask for this projection. You meet someone, they ask for that. And putting those slide decks together, they mm. take forever. Like, they take mm. a weeks. It's, mm. it's, and then you go to meet someone else and they want different information and they want to see your five-year plan and your projections. You're like, well, I don't have to worry about any of that. I can just mm. get my head down and work. So. Yeah. So you said you were a one-man band basically for the first 18 months. Yeah. At 18 months, what changed and who was your first hire? Customer support. Right. Yeah, number one. Yeah. That had to go. It started affecting my mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had met somebody here through through the Alavaco program. I met someone called Julia, uh, Julia French, who runs Founders for Founders, and it's a networking for other founders just wanting to help other founders. So she said to me, she saw potential in me, which is amazing, and said, you need to go and see what Silicon Valley is actually like. Why don't you come and live in my house in Silicon Valley for three months for free wow. and just go? And so I, it was at this is over champagne at midnight. I get home and wake my husband up. It's like I'm gonna move, and this he's he's working in corporate finance. I'm like I'm gonna move to America to grow my business. It's like what? It's like already applied for my visa on the Uber on the way home. I'm gonna book my flight. I'm probably gonna leave in a couple of weeks. He's like go for it. He's oh, am- he's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so I moved to America for three months, and that was a huge turning point. So the hours that I was working to work all day in the American time zone, and then try and work within Australian time zone as well, was when I realised I'm breaking, and I need some to spend more time as a CEO on strategy and business building. And that's when I started to delegate. So I got back from America. And grew the team from me and a couple of customer support and some virtual assistants that I was working with for, at this point, writing blog posts and stuff from, I think, four of us to blow out to 35 of us in the space of about six months across nine countries and then, yeah, go from there. I mean, growing the team from four to 35 must have been a full-time job in itself. Mm. Yes. Hiring that many people. Well, hiring, firing, rehiring. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's more than, it was more than 35. But if you just don't find the right fit and... And a lot of people don't understand startup life, that there's no structure. So a lot, of, a few people would come in and be like, well, where's the guide for this? And I just laughed. It's like, if you want one, then make one. <laughs> like that's, maybe that's your job. But don't waste your time on it because it's not going to make money. <laughs> <laughs> I love that philosophy. <laughs> so I mean, people come to me and they're like, oh, you know, we're like, the onboarding or any of that. I mean, we have a proper onboarding flow now, but back then we didn't. And then a lot of people didn't realise that whatever they thought they were going to do that day was going to significantly change. Like, for, I'm going to give you an example of what happened yesterday, right? So everyone thought that they were going to just do their job. And then Instagram decided to do a purge of bots and fake followers. So there's some people that lost up to 100 followers or 100,000 followers or mm. whatever. So everyone is freaking out about how many followers they've lost. Our website yes, or our website not a day usually hits between twenty to 30,000 unique visitors a day. Yesterday we got over 70,000 in one day wow. because our blog post from a couple of years ago of why am I losing Instagram followers uh-huh. was trending as number one on Google in seven countries and brought them all in. So my team have woken up today and gone, right, we've got a retargeting pixel on them all. These people are all warm leads. They care about Instagram. They care about their followers. Let's re-get them back with, uh, let's get them to download the app by targeting them with how I get Instagram followers back. And so that's what they're working on now to get out so we can retarget to 70,000 people in America. Wow. And that's not what they thought they were going to be doing today. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, but guess you've got to take those opportunities. You yeah. But they've also got to do that on top of their existing workload. Yeah. 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 And there's a balance between being responsive and agile yes. but also following some kind of plan and I thought you know maybe could you tell us a bit about the marketing plan 
or strategy, I suppose, because marketing an app would be very different to Mm. marketing a product or even a service. It's very different. One of the biggest things that I found was we had a lot of organic growth and a lot of people asked me, how did you, what do you pay for? So there's a whole bunch of things that you could, but we didn't have cash. We didn't have the funds for it. So it all had to be organic. So we had to build a product that was not only beautiful, that worked well, that people would talk about and create talkability. So one of the key drivers of that was Facebook groups and social anxiety and working out how Facebook groups and anxiety work together. So if you look at Plan App, when you open the workspace, there's a huge blue logo with Plan written in it. Mm. But you also have room to write your own or put your own name in there. And so I knew that people would be screenshotting what they were doing and posting in Facebook groups saying, do you like this? Does this work? And sure enough, that's what happened. And that's how I got the early day virality. So the question that I would, well, what I, the way that I do it is, how can I let my people clone themselves? And if you can answer that in different ways, so I could let them clone themselves by telling them about it in a group. Our brand messaging and voice is also very different. We're very quirky. It's what's well, my voice? There's <laughs> <laughs> the quirk, right? <laughs> the weirdo behind the scenes. We were like hey, a bunch of fluffy ducks, or just like oh, butter your biscuits. Like our emails and stuff. Like they're quirky as hell. They don't sound like a corporate. They're fun, and we bring kind of fun back to Instagram, which is one of our brand emotions. Mm. Knowing your identity of your brand. And working it to your advantage is also huge. But there's heaps of things behind the scenes. Like, you know how there's SEO for search engine optimization for Google? There's ASO, which is App Store Optimization for Apple. So there's seven different things that you have to work on in order to rank higher in a search. The difference between ranking at, say, for example, someone searched Instagram planning app, the difference between plan ranked second and seventh is 100,000 downloads a week. Wow. Mm. Or a month. Like, it's big. Yeah. So those are things like reviews videos, screenshots, crashes, monetization, all the things that Apple need to, to push you higher in the ranking. So we like I worked on that really hard for the first year because I had no money and now we do Apple ads, which pay for themselves, which is nice. And yeah, so we're about to launch our web app, which has been amazing. Um, it's been over a year and a half now to build because it's wow. so expensive and we had to get you know 12 full-time staff members on that that, we, that the app was trying to pay for pretty much ready to launch it we're just waiting on apple to approve our final build working with apple is amazing Uh (laughs) and we should have it out but um how do you market an app the same way as everything really i mean i don't think i've said anything Mm. that's rocket scientist rocket Mm. science it's the same core brand your branding knowing who your audience is is super important and how to get in front of them and then how can you let them clone themselves for virality Mm. who is the plan customer Mm. So the app and the web app have two different customers. So our plan app is usually um, a, a creative by themselves and they're running their own business or they're a stay-at-home mum or they're a mum with, like, with an Etsy store. So usually a creative type style of person. They've probably got a virtual assistant helping them out because you can share that plan across there. So it's kind of the, the smaller businesses. So I don't know the technical name for that group yeah. of people. But I mean, they, they range from KFC in New Zealand through to shoe shops through to the University of New York. Like they're crazy. Like they've got some good names, but at the end of the day, it's one person in the marketing team, Managing right? It. Yeah. It's one yeah. person. So it's kind of like who, who needs one person with maybe some help. And then our web app is for our clients like Seafolly and some of the bigger people who have big marketing teams and agencies who need more team sharing capabilities and they need to churn out more content 
So in order to do that, we've got this option where you can import images from three different free stock image websites that we've integrated with the platform. Cool. So teaching people that it's about, and it's got a storyboarding feature. So you can actually plan out, <laughs> plan. <laughs> plan out your your strategy storyboard and then import your images over the top to tell the brand story because a lot of people in service think that it's not for them that instagram doesn't work but once you realize that instagram is about selling a lifestyle mm, then your so. whole it just changes can you tell us about the revenue model and has that changed from when you launched mm-hmm. to today? So when I first launched, because it had, there was nothing really in market and I knew I had a good support system and I needed money, I had a one-off purchase. Mm-hmm. So went out into the app. So I think it was $9 US when I first launched. And that money all just came in upfront. Then after six months, I needed to create a more sustainable. So I was able to create some of those early adopters and some virality was starting to happen and decided to change into a SaaS product, which is a software as a service monthly subscription. So what I would do is I grandfathered in everyone that had paid up front and emailed them to say like, thank you and really appreciate you. You don't have to fall in love with me every month and part with your money, but we're going to be changing. So if you haven't already upgrade now, gave them warning and then move to a, a subscription model. And it was just like that. And then I think a year later, put the price up and probably we'll do it again because it's been a little while and we're crazily that like we are the cheapest on the market mm. still. So I think there's room in there to help build my team out, but some more money. <laughs> Give me my money. And how, like, if, you know, you were one of the first or the first to market, like, how did you know where to pitch yourself? How did you know how to price? I cloned myself. So how can I help female creatives make money? And that's where I focus my time. Can you tell us, in your mind, what sets plan aside from the other scheduling apps out there? And what are you most proud about creating? Of course. So, yes, I'm sure a lot of people say plan is a scheduling app. But for me, it's a management suite. Oh, mm-hmm. So it's very different. So for me, a scheduling tool goes, here's a scheduling tool, figure it out. Where plan goes, we're going to help you figure out how to do social and we're going to help you make smart smart decisions for your business so you can you know, work better. That's our mission. It's, I think mm. the, the legit line of the business is something like, oh, I should know this off the top you of my should. head. You should. <laughs> Aunt Carol, I haven't had any sleep for a while. <laughs> but, no, I'm kidding. It's... um. Helping helping people make smarter business decisions with exceptional creative something. It's like these crazy words. Nailed it. Just go to the website and check yeah, it out. Check yeah. it out. <laughs> no, it's internal. It's all oh. internal. Yeah, all oh, internal. Maybe you need to put that out there. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. Like I want my team to know that we're not just going, here's a tool, you guys figure out how to do social and we're going to leave you to it. We're an extension of your team. We're going to help you storyboard. We're going to help you strategize. I don't mean one-on-one customer support help. For example, our product, you can inside the app, you can do a search on a competitor or a peer and you can find out what times they post, the hashtags they use, the color schemes that work best for them. There's, it's, it's fully like that. Mm. But there's a pop-up there that says, how about not searching competitors? Search for your peers that share your target audience mm. because whatever they're doing and doing well for your target audience, just steal that. Yeah. So – we kind of give little hints and tips along the way. And if that's an indication of where I'm going, then, yeah, I think we're in a completely different place Mm. from scheduling. That's a good segue into where obviously you've got the web um, platform Mm -hmm. almost ready to launch. Where do you see the business going in the next two, three, four, five years, especially as the kind of the social media landscape continues to change and evolve? Well, the crazy thing you asked me about that is that I work in tech and I work in social media. So my roadmap looks about six months long. 
Yeah. I can't really work that far in advance. So I have what I think I need, but the core issues that people have on social stay the same. So I trust in my ability to create a problem solve when the time comes that we need to pivot and change. So I've got the amount of people that come into our product every day. I have no issue that I'm going to solve their problem, what they're mm. looking for. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know if I answered your question, but where I see it going is where the people need it to go. Yeah. So when I go to LA, um, I'm teaching at university. So I'm going over there to teach at a university and then becoming a preferred supplier so that we become one of the first preferred suppliers of universities. And off the back of that, I'm going to create an education suite where you become plan certified and that'll be offered to corporates. So you kind of do know where you're going. Yeah. I think you're like winking. (laughs) That's one thing. Where else? Where else are we going? (laughs) The crazy thing is about what I do is... I love what I do so much and uh, and you know how I said to you before, like if you have a good idea, it's going to get stolen. My ideas all get stolen and our competitors are signed up to our email list with their work email addresses. So they're not hard to miss. So it doesn't matter what I say, within the next month or so, they're all doing very similar things. So some things, especially when I think long-term, like after six months, I've just got to keep them close for a little while. Um, you just mentioned your team. You've mm-hmm. recently brought your husband on board as that lucky CEO. Man. <laughs> Talk us through that. How and why and mm-hmm. what skills does he bring to the business? Well, at the start, he was helping me with customer support and I fired him and rehired him and fired him and rehired <laughs> him like several times because he just couldn't nail the brand voice. He was so corporate. I was like, no, like be human. Like if someone says I've got a bug, tell them like if that was you, you'd want to throw your phone out the window, like relate, yeah. empathize. And he just, it's not his, it's not his strength. So I kind of mm. like wiped the idea of him ever working at plan <laughs> for a while and he had no interest. He was having this amazing corporate finance career here in Sydney. He's getting a great name. He just got promoted. He's doing really well. And yeah, he, I would just get angry at him when he'd come at night and not help me. <laughs> he was tired, but I was too. So it caused a few, the business did cause a, you know, a bit of tension yeah. in the marriage because he'd come home and want to hang out and cook dinner. And I'd be like, oh, I've got another five hours, Yeah, that kind of thing. And when I came home and said, I'm going to move to America and was gone for three months. And then when I came back, I actually went back to America again and then home again and then back again. He was like, well, I kind of miss you. And I was like, but you know what? Like I can work from my laptop anywhere in the world. Mm. Like there's nothing holding me to Sydney, but like my love for you and our family and Mm. what we've built together, what's it going to take for you to come on board? And then I just started to show him. So we, we were experiencing severe viral growth at the time. And every month the revenue was growing, I think 25% month on month on month on month, which viral growth is about four or three or four or Mm. five. So to be at 25%. And then he came home one night and I'd done all the math and he's like, let me help you. I was like, yes, corporate man and doing my finance stuff, like help me. And when he saw that the business was making enough money to be able to financially support both of us, he was like, hmm, kind of, I just started to plant seeds. Like we could go work in Bali. Mm. We could do that. We could go back to America and learn and come. work. Like <laughs> it would be great if you, because there was one time where he said, well, I've got no leave. I'm like, well, whose fault is that? <laughs> you can change that. We can change that. And he went to soccer. I think he got promoted the week before and, he got pulled into a, a meeting room and said, look, you know, this doesn't really come with a pay raise, but what you're doing is amazing and we're going to give you a new title. And I think it was like $10,000 as, as a pay raise or something for like way more responsibility. Mm. And they're like, and we know that your wife, you know, has a little hobby business at home. So like, why don't you take her out for dinner to celebrate? And at that, that point he was like, like how, how do I oh say, how would I say my, my my wife makes what I just, like the pay raise in one week? Like, or not even that, but like. Oh. Like, 
Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. Isn't that just reflective of like corporate male very, culture? Very reflective. And so he went to soccer that night and came home, walked through the door and said, you know what? I'm going to quit tomorrow. I'm going to quit my job. I'm like, what? He's like, I'm in. Like, I'm fully invested. And I was getting to a point where I was growing that there was a, like, there was one day he called in sick and would came to the pub and worked with me out of a pub for the day just so I could try. Cause I was at a point where we were imploding. It was growing yeah. so fast. I had no skills. I needed someone to understand the business and he had heard every whinge, believe yeah. me, every whinge. Yeah. So he knew more than anyone. So he was perfect. And our skill sets are very different. We never work on the same thing together. Yeah. And we joke around and I play pranks on him all the time. And yeah, he joined. We've been with me. He's been in the team. We work together. Not he doesn't work for me. We work with each other. <laughs> and he, the team, love him. He's great at people. Where I'm so blunt that <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, just get it done. Where he's the massager and yeah. <laughs> very nurturing. And I'm very lucky that he wanted to join. Yeah, really. And now we can travel the world with our laptops. It's amazing. So your team's virtual. The 35 employees that you have are scattered. Scattered, yeah. So nine different countries. And we have a core, probably five people in Brisbane. So we have uh, them set up and we work in Brisbane. Hi, team. And then uh, scattered around everywhere. A geography is not my strong. Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. That's right. <laughs> Don't ask me about that. <laughs> not sure which countries. <laughs> I can kind of tell you, like our Amazon. The thing is, it sounds like there's a lot of people, but when you're in 160 countries and you have to be online 24-7, seven days mm. for example all of our stuff is backed up on the amazon web server so if that goes down depending on the time zone we're in trouble mm. so we need someone in both time zones to manage that so one's in jamaica and one's here i think and either he travels between the philippines and brisbane so we just have to make sure to manage both time zones so it appears like the team's quite big but sometimes there's duplicate roles mm. Mm. Um, i have a question that's sort of a bit Totally random and off topic, but I've been thinking about it. Um, (laughs) So you obviously have experienced experienced a lot of organic growth and you've gone viral, Mm -hmm. you know, one or multiple times, but you've kind of orchestrated all of that. Like it's not been luck. You've orchestrated everything. So what advice would you give to someone who is wanting to start a business about how to generate that kind of organic growth or how to go viral? It's a great question. It's a big question. I was like, tell me. (laughs) I think it comes down to just making really smart decisions and being really clear about what you are, what you do and who you serve. Some of the decisions that I made, like for example, in the early days, no one knew who I was and plan is a very generic word and Instagram, everyone writes about Instagram. So how do I get my, like, how do I get plan to the top of Google? Like right now we're in position zero and one for so many different posts, which is perfect for us. The strategy that I used was, hey, here's this app, but I know that you need traffic to your own website. So let me do the SEO research for you and I'll tell you what topics are trending, what meta tags to use on the images and what synonyms and and stuff, semantic words that you need to smush into this article. And I'm just going to give it to you on a platter. You write the article, backlink us, and you're going to get traffic. So it was always about how can I help you? What kind of helped us at the same time? Mm. And there was just some smarter thinking around just ideas like that. And the knowing my person would screenshot and share the product in social media groups, just knowing their behaviors and stuff. So the, mm. I think the quote here is, the more you know about your person, the more money you'll make, or more viral you'll go. You just mm. have to be relate like you think about what goes viral now as memes it changes all the time but effectively it's you're online to be entertained or inspired so what do you put your success down to is it you grit 
I'd say mm. being understanding that you just have to keep going. There's so many people that are like, oh, God, Christy, I would have given up at that. Like knowing, like just re- like launching the app and then knowing I had to rebuild within like the first week of putting in the app store, most people would have given up there, I think. And there's been other things that have happened along the way that I've made huge mistakes on that other people are like, how are you still working on that? What have been some of your biggest mistakes? Oh, um, trying to build a technical tool with no technical experience and no technical staff members. That's probably a big one. I made huge mistakes. Like, for example, I didn't think that I needed a server. I just thought that everyone's images should just like just save on your device. Like, what, why, do I, why do I need to back it up? It doesn't make any sense. And that was a major mistake because people would change phones. They'd already paid for it. I can't get their images across because they're all saved on the devices. So just stuff like that, just not knowing enough about the core part of my business, like the architecture and how that works. My biggest mistake ever Uh, My developers hard-coded our IP address into Amazon. So when Amazon went down, which it does every now and then, and then Amazon tried to reset their stuff, what usually happens is that you get like a flexible IP and it would just rejoin plan. But because they'd hard-coded without the change, Amazon was trying to connect. Well, we were trying to connect using this and it doesn't work. So everybody got a black screen of death. Like you click on the icon and it just black screen and that was it. And so my reviews tanked, my customer port, me, got overloaded. We got shared on social media for being the most unreliable app on the planet, like all this stuff. It was pretty horrific because at the time I was a one-man band. And because we didn't have any relationship with Apple, we were a tiny, tiny, tiny app at the time, trying to get it built. I was away for a wedding that I was a stylist at. Um, trying to get the app rebuilt and then back through Apple over a weekend. So it was five days of the black screen of death. Wow. And oh took my mental health with it. And uh, Yeah, so I had to take a week off with complete burnout, ended up in hospital. And Tim came to the rescue. He worked for an entire weekend, cleaned up my inbox and would send out email marketing campaigns and said, you just, just don't look at anything, just go. And my little, I went to stay with my little sister in Melbourne and went to Justin Bieber <laughs> oh. and yeah. just slept for a week because I was just burnt. Wow. And, that was, and then coming long. back from that where my whole family was just like, look what you just did to yourself. You're in hospital. Like, stop. And I was like, no. So where does that persistence and grit come from? Is it part of your DNA? I think so. Well, for me personally, I'm just – I said I was going to do it and I'm, like, I want yeah. to do it. Like, I'm, like, this is what I want to do. And I think – you know how this is probably a bit crazy and I, I, I like self-awareness and I'm into personal growth stuff, but – if you are innately happy with the work that you do, you love what you do and you don't need external validation. So for me, I literally love waking up at five in the morning, working on the product, helping so many people. I literally love it and I breathe it and I work almost seven days a week, but I love it and I don't go, oh, work was shit. Like it, it doesn't come out that way. And I love to share what we're working on and the success of the people that work with us and use the product. What's been one of your biggest pinch me moments where you've gone, oh, my God, like this has actually happened or, oh, my oh, God, man. I can see. I Crazy. Can... I've got like this list of these. Um, my favourite clothes brand using the product. I've got being in LA and running an event and it was something like how to make your brunch look good. And it was just random. It was when I was first starting out and someone came up to me and said, you should try this app. And it was my app. I was like, oh, my God. Um, Did you say anything? <laughs> I did. I did at the time. And being asked within six months of being in the app store, I had someone approach me for an acquisition. So I went wow. through that and had to go learn what that even looks like. <laughs> and then being offered 
you know, money and stock in someone else's company to merge companies and then deciding not to and then having them reach out recently and ask to go do it again, uh, go through the conversation again. So just trying to, like, Christy in her yoga pants spinning being sick at home would never have thought she was going to be roller skating in LA going through acquisitions and people flying from Melbourne to interview her in her home right (laughs) that's amazing I mean it's well deserved you've worked so hard incredible success story and especially for someone who's a Mm non-technical tech founder like it's just incredible like I I said I, I don't really the whole you know make time for yourself in there and what helps you kind of thing. So I am actually a mentor on three different female tech accelerator programs now. So I can help more female founders do mm. or create successful tech businesses. So I have more friends. <laughs> How do you have time to do all this stuff? Speed read. Yeah. I need um, to learn how to speed read. Uh, yeah. I know. Speed read actually, because speed read comes with reading emails real fast, but also responding really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, reading, I read a lot of books. I don't need that much sleep and just I don't know. Wanted my curiosity to learn. Yeah. Mm. Yep. So, what makes you happy? Everything. <laughs> um, I have so many hobbies. If I sat here and just listed off all the things that make me happy, what doesn't make me happy is cauliflower. I oh. don't like cauliflower. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but like, I I love roller skating. I love my friends. I love red wine. I love going out for dinner and dancing. I love. Being on my roller skates, singing to music at one in the morning. Just, I don't know, I just love to experience just everything. Yeah. Love it. Who inspires you? Mm, my team. My team inspires me. So I don't, I don't have time, you know how you're saying make time for stuff. I have time for like my stuff and my team. And my team, they bring their passion to work every day and I've hired them because they're experts so I love to learn what they know and they inspire me. So they might come up with this harebrained idea and I'm like, let's do it. And so that inspires me to continue to think as well. But I don't have anyone that I really look up to and be like, I want to be you. I don't really have that in my Mm. life. So I think if you're always working on being a better version of you and you're always learning about you, then you don't don't need to look up to anyone else Mm, because you can just build you. Yeah, that's true. I love that. Mm. And what's next for you personally and what's next for plan? Well, I'm going to move to America for a few months, April, May, and hopefully June. My husband's a homebody, so he wanted to come home, but I think I'm going to force him to go to Europe. I've started artistic roller skate lessons, so if I don't break my arm, I might be twirling around <laughs> doing that. I can see you on Venice Beach. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every morning. So last time I was there, I in, in one week, I did 60 kilometers on my skates. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. No kidding. I love it. Um, I don't know. Whatever I'm interested in at that time. Might be Shark Week, could be anything. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, lady.brains, and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening.